Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Ned Lamont has called himself an outsider when it comes to Connecticut politics, but on Wednesday that'll no longer be the case when he takes the oath to become Connecticut's 89th governor. Today where we live, we get an inside look at how Lamont plans to operate government. Coming up, we'll hear about the main issues the Lamont administration will tackle first, including tolls, recreational marijuana, oh, and the not-so-unimportant job of coming up with a balanced budget by next month. Now, what policy goals do you want your next governor to work on first? You can join us, too. Here's the number, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, one of the first big changes Governor-elect Lamont implemented was the creation of a new cabinet position, a chief operating officer, to be exact. Now, why does a state government need a COO? Well, the man Lamont has appointed for the job is in studio with us to explain. Paul Mounts Jr., welcome to Where We Live. Thank you, Lucy. Happy to be here. So I mentioned that uh, Mr. Lamont, he often says that he's a political uh, outsider, but unlike the governor-elect, you're not like him. You are a political insider. You've worked for Congressman Larson, Senator Blumenthal, even Governor Malloy. So tell us about this new position. What does it mean to be the COO for the state of Connecticut? Yeah, well, I'll say first and foremost, uh, I, I did uh, spend time in the former administration. Uh, the cur- this now current administration for Malloy is his legislative and policy director. And the one thing that I know I realized during that time is the importance to have an individual or a team that will be able to focus on what is really going on in our agencies, really bringing about success and excellence, really understanding how the agencies can work together and not making decisions in a silo. And so this role, uh, which is a role that has been taken on by many, many other states, um, including Rhode Island, our, our neighbor, and in other states like Colorado and Arizona as such, uh, is about ensuring that success through uh, an individual and uh, the, a team uh, that will bring about uh, those uh, metri- uh, success through metrics as well as working with the state employees and our managers and our commissioners, which first and foremost who drive those success through our agencies uh, to, to really lead the change. Our listeners may be familiar with when you think of COO, you're thinking of a a corporation. Correct. So how is that different, a CEO working for for for-profit and a COO working within state government? Are there differences? Um, There's similarities and there's differences. So I I would say that uh, you said that I'm a political insider. I like to say that I'm a longstanding public servant. (laughs) Uh, And the one thing that I say, I've had a background and understanding of how our agencies work and how change can occur, whether it's through staging and it's, change doesn't really happen overnight. So I look at my role as someone as someone who has a broad understanding of how you can bring about change and administer uh, the various laws and the initiatives of, that are being led through the governor's office and the legislature. Uh, I look about this role as a means to a, an appropriate end and a solution. And so while you look at on a corporate level, you have the CEO and a COO uh, set up, really part of a senior staff uh, that uh, gets uh, driven up and then driven down. 
the COO from a state level really has to be a collaborator, someone who's going to work with all the uh, various constituencies inside an agency, outside the agency, the legislature, to bring about the changes that are appropriate to get move the state forward. Mm. So you mentioned uh, the current administration under Governor Malloy. So within uh, his executive branch, you have um, the staff would be chief of staff. Correct. And so the new chief of staff is? Uh, be Ryan Dracewich mm-hmm. under uh, uh, incoming governor, Lamont. And so the idea of uh, focusing more on organization and collaboration, I mean, who would have traditionally taken that role? Yeah, traditionally it would be the chief of staff um, and Governor uh, Malloy's or in previous administrations. Uh, The chief of staff has to do a lot, Uh, has to manage uh, not only strategy, uh, long-term thinking, uh, relationships with the legislature and the outside uh, constituencies. Uh, this this role will allow uh, the chief of staff to be really more of a focus uh, area. Uh, my my role is really internal in a lot of ways, uh, really focusing on our agencies, focusing on our leadership, focusing on our our overall uh, performance, and, and focusing about staff success. And the one thing that I hope to bring to the role, and it will take time because, like I said, anything that's new, understanding our, our state uh, financial uh, constraints, you have to utilize your current resources to bring about change. And so in order to do that, it's going to be important to work with all the various parties at hand. And so I see this as uh, not something that's going to be immediately implemented on day one, but something that's going to have a process of starting to move forward on day one. This is where we live. In studio with me is Paul Mounds, Jr. He's Governor-elect Ned Lamont's pick for Chief Operating Officer, a COO. This is the first time in the state of Connecticut a COO has been appointed. Uh, what's your take on this uh, new position? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at where we live. So, Paul, how would you answer to critics who might look at this uh, new uh, government position being created mm-hmm. as a sign that uh, Governor-elect Lamont uh, will be growing? Growing government mm-hmm. and is and is that a waste of resources? How would you how so would you respond? I would say that this is while this is a new title, it's not a new position in terms of staff growth within the office. Uh, we we are using an existing uh, staff uh, position for uh, my role. Uh, so we understand under the Malloy administration that uh, the size of uh, government in terms of state employees has shrunk. We also understand that for us to move forward as a state, we have to be productive. And in order to be productive, we have to understand where we're going. And to do that, uh, I would say growing government is not a focus, but growing productivity is a focus of this administration. So while this is a new title, Mm -hmm. it's not a new actual uh, full uh, employee position within the office. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk more about um, the COO role within a state government, including how other states have implemented uh, this position. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, since you've mentioned a few times now that you're going to be looking at how different agencies can be more productive and uh, you know how uh, there can be uh, better collaboration uh, between uh, agencies. So there have been some announcements of new commissioners. Correct. So these commissioners are going to be reporting to you directly. Yes, correct. So tell us about some of the, the new commissioners and the the decision to, to appoint them. Yeah. So I say our overall strategy is to identify the best and the brightest that are going to work collaboratively as a team to bring about success for the state. 
uh, as a whole. Not bring about success just for the now, but bring about success in a foundation that will lead for a future. So I, I will start on the transportation end. Uh, we were able to recruit uh, a very uh, productive uh, leader in Joe Giletti, who, who formerly was uh, the head of uh, Metro North Railroad. Uh, he, he played a major part in doing the turnaround of Metro North Railroad. And for us as a state to be uh, productive, not only in a regional and a, a nationwide level, we have to have a, a real focus on our transportation resources. Can we get to New York City uh, from Connecticut in 30 minutes? We, can we have the continued growth of uh, going towards uh, Boston? Uh, we are in a very uh, competitive position locationally, but transportation-wise, we have to have continual growth, and Joe Giletti would lead that. Uh, we also identified leaders within state government that, are, uh, that have been here uh, leading works. Uh, for example, uh, in, as our new commissioner of the uh, Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, Katie Dykes, who currently serves as uh, the chairwoman of the Public Utilities Regulatory Authority, she has been a visionary leader on uh, energy policy uh, for the state of Connecticut and looked at nationally for various roles that she has played. Well, we have been lucky to set up a personnel committee through our transition that has not only identified strong candidates to come to Connecticut, but strong candidates have said that they want to come to Connecticut. So it has really made our process in identifying candidates uh, very fruitful, worthwhile, and at sometimes very easy. Uh, we should mention um, the, there are, are several very important agencies uh, that you have not yet named new commissioners. I believe DCF, there is a, a, a someone that's been nominated. Could you yes. tell us about her? Yeah. So we are, uh, I know it's been reported. So uh, later today, uh, we will be announcing uh, Vanessa Durantes, mm -hmm. who's currently uh, an administ a regional administrator at DCF. Uh, to uh, take over that role. She will be the first African-American woman to lead that department. Uh, she has been a change agent uh, very much within her region, uh, looked at uh, not only as uh, someone who is an adjunct professor at Central Connecticut State University, she has led diversity-related trainings in terms of understanding how to deal with uh, the various communities that is within the constituency that is DCF. We look forward to her really being a continuing change agent within that department. Uh, she's a, uh, I would say, a new commissioner, but someone who's been ready to become a commissioner uh, throughout her tenure. Uh, we also have the Department of Social Services, uh, Department of Public Health, uh, DEMAS, yeah. uh, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Uh, I understand will you be um, announcing the renomination of present commissioners? What can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, we, we will. Uh, uh, I, I would say that uh, coming up soon, we uh, as part of our evaluation process of all of our agencies, uh, some commissioners have, um, current commissioners have stood out uh, uh, to uh, be looked at by Governor-elect uh, Lamont uh, to be renominated uh, for those roles uh, based upon the various successes they've had within the agencies, based upon their vision for the future. That's very much in line with the vision of the Governor-elect Lamont and Lieutenant Governor-elect uh, Bysowitz. Uh, we, we look to announce those very soon, but I'll tell you this one thing. We are going to take our time to ensure that we identify the right leaders for the departments and the right leaders that will work cross-agency to bring about the success that we're, we're, we are striving for for the state of Connecticut. So we're not going to rush decisions. We're going to take time. We understand we do have some uh, statutory deadlines that we might have to make, 
but we're going to take our time, and um, I'm happy that our search committee uh, that will continue that work uh, even after Wednesday. So you can uh, nominate someone to be the head of a state agency, but it's the state Senate that will confirm? Yes, yes. So it's the state state legislature. Uh, It's either uh, we we get to choose what chamber we want that individual to go through. It does have to go through a legislative, first a legislative committee process, the executive and legislative nominations uh, process, which is a very uh, strenuous uh, confirmation process, and as it should be. Um, in my former role in the Malloy administration, I led the uh, process of getting all of the commissioners through the confirmation process, as well as uh, judges, and it's, um, it shouldn't be easy. It, that's the time for legislators and the public to ask the questions that they want to know about on how this individual will not only run an agency, but will look out for the constituencies that go through that agency. So I, I ex- not only expect the process to be strenuous, because it should be. And that's why we picked the best and the brightest to go th- not only go through that process, but to be ready to run the agencies and serve the state of Connecticut. Uh, you've mentioned that uh, you want to make sure that these uh, commissioners are willing to collaborate. How do you make sure they're team players, Paul? Well, first, you, uh, I'm a former football player and went to Trinity College, played football. And the one thing that I saw our coaches do was it was picking the right players. You have to pick people that have the right personality who are willing to work together. Uh, you, it's not about just identifying the best king or queen that can run a specific silo. It's about individuals thinking outside the box and, under, and understanding that the issues that they work on not only is reflected within their agency and their end with the, within their specific budget line item, it's reflected throughout the whole state. So, for example, if there is a particular request for a proposal through a uh, Department of Energy Environmental Protection process uh, to procure energy, how is that going to have an effect on our transportation? How is that going to have an effect on our health? We have to be able to talk through our various silos and break them down to actually bring about those changes. So the one thing that we will be doing is we're going to be uh, internally creating uh, buckets of agencies in terms of where do they fall. Uh, is it this health and human services? Is it economic growth and development? Uh, is it uh, dealing with education and educational opportunities? We're going to make sure those commissioners are not only talking to each other, they're working with each other. And that's what uh, the COO's uh, position in our office will look to bring about. When we think about Connecticut's uh, fiscal challenges ahead, you know, during the, the campaign, different uh, gubernatorial candidates talked about, you know, do we need all of these state agencies? Mm-hmm. Is that something that the Lamont administration will uh, be examining as the COO yeah. looking at organization? Yeah. Uh, do we need as many commissioners uh, of, to be leading these particular agencies? Yeah. Should some be consolidated? Yeah, I would say uh, that's something that will continuously be under review, but I will also say under the Malloy administration, they went through that process uh, in, in cutting down the amount of agencies and having uh, those um, many cl- um, agencies brought together. It doesn't mean that the actual issues are put in a back burner. It's just for various efficiencies, you can do that. So I would say we're coming in with a different framework than the Malloy administration where there has been a lot of those uh contractions, I would say, of uh, agencies, but not contractions in terms of the focus and and importance of the specific issues in which those agencies were focused on. But we will look at 
uh, all those various issues um, in the in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, but I know I feel very confident as we do go in on Wednesday that uh, the size of government uh, is something that we can work with, but it's also a size of government that we will continuously have a review of. You mentioned Wednesday. That's Inauguration uh, Day. Uh, tell us about that schedule and uh <laughs> as somebody that's, again, been raised up through politics. Yeah. Is this an exciting time for you, Paul? It's always an exciting time. It's, um, I, I would say the, it, as, a, as a citizen of Connecticut, uh, with any type of change of power uh, and the, the start of a new administration is something that we all as a state could be pr- proud of. Uh, the, uh, the change of hands of, of, of administrations is, is not easy. Uh, a lot of stuff happening in the background, but when that when you when the, the governor elect will will take the oath of office, he'll have the parade going uh, going up from the uh, the armory up to the Capitol. That's something that all of us as a state should be proud of and and, and feel glorious about. Um, I love that day. I'm a I'm a person who love government. Uh, I used to watch town council meetings as a child, and uh, I, I voluntarily I just, Paul. Vo- vo- voluntarily <laughs> watch town council meetings as a child. Uh, so I, I, I love this Poor process. Soul, no. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love this process, and um, I, I think it's, I, I really encourage everyone in the state of Connecticut to really come out on Wednesday and, and really experience it fully. I think as well, the, the, the inaugural ball is going to be, is open to the public, um, so you could go to the Lamont uh, Transition website and, and go there and uh, learn more about the day. And uh, we just look forward to it. I know that my I'll probably be going crazy dealing with other related issues, making sure commissioners are, are well, dealing with the legislature a little bit. But it's, I'm going to have a big smile on my face like I have right now. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me again is Paul Mounds, Jr. He'll become the state of Connecticut's first chief operating officer. After the break, we're going to learn about other states that have COOs. And we're going to take your questions, too. Do you think this position will be valuable within state government? Uh, 860-275-7266. And what are your thoughts about some issues that will be coming up this new legislative session, also beginning on Wednesday? You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I'm talking with Paul Mounts Jr. today. He's the new Chief Operating Officer for the state of Connecticut. The COO is a new position created by Governor-elect Ned Lamont. What's your take? A good move for the state as it continues to deal with significant challenges ahead? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. In a few minutes, we'll learn more about the impact seen in other states that also have Chief Operating Officers within uh, government. But I wanted to turn back to Paul uh, to give us uh, an idea of when we talk about um, your focus on organization and collaboration, how are you going to measure that? Um, you know, how, how good is the data that state agencies collect on themselves? Yeah. I would say the, the state agencies have good data collected. It's about whether or not that data is um, in a manner to actually be reviewed appropriately to make decision to make decisions. And so we can look at, we have, I'll take health, our health agencies, we have a large array of data on our health side. But is the data actually giving us the right conclusions? Is it actually talking to each other across agencies? 
uh, is the data deaggregated in a way so we can make targeted changes? Those are the kind of questions that I will be asking to our various agencies as we look at data. I think the beauty right now in the state is that we, we can grow off of various elements that have been done in the previous administration, uh, the cre- creation of the new chief data officer, uh, which has put out the first uh, state data plan, really having state agencies now be held to a standard on how they collect data, how they're reviewing data, and how they're releasing data. That data is only going to help us in our ability to make decisions going forward. And so I look to work with the chief data officer, which is uh, an OPM. I look forward to working with our lean coordinator who has brought about changes in terms of how we do permitting, how we do licensures in our various agencies. I look forward to work with all of them and really create this team environment that will bring about the metrics so we can make the sound decisions in moving the state forward. In addition to that, I I look at various issues of uh, metrics is only going to allow us to have a better ability to work together across agency. And uh, if you look at, for example, I know in the state of Connecticut and nationwide, we talk about social determinants of health. Uh, and how you can improve health outcomes from individuals. We all know that uh, your zip code plays a large part on your health outcome, but now let's break that down even further. That means uh, your ability to uh, have uh, sound uh, energy, that's within deep and pure. Uh, your food security, that's within agriculture. Are you, do you have access to transportation? That's the transportation agency. If does all those agencies that I just said doesn't have the word health in it, mm-hmm but they all have an effect on the health outcome of an, of an, of an individual, of a family, uh, and, and, a, and the health outcome of the state of Connecticut. They have to talk to each other as they're putting together their various strategies. And that's what I hope that through this world we'll be able to accomplish. Uh, before we learn more about uh, different states that also have COOs, I'm curious about um, when we think about how the state has worked to overhaul technology or yeah. whether they have um, been behind yeah. the curve, uh, so to speak, when you look at DMV or mm-hmm. Department of Social Services, uh, questions where uh, we hear from listeners who are waiting on the phone for hours to get mm-hmm. an actual person to answer their question. You know, I'm just curious if, if that's going to be a uh, priority for the Lamont administration. And in that sense, if government can't do it right, um, is there room for privatization? Uh, Yes, it is a focus. Uh, IT, technological uh, advancements to be able to uh, handle uh, the services within government is a focus. I think one of the things that we are going to start asking the questions is, are the technologies and various agencies that need to talk to each other actually able to do it? As the technologies that we're identifying to handle various uh, state inputs and outputs, are they the right technologies and will they last the, t- the, the standard of time? The, the great thing about uh, this governor-elect with, uh, with his background, uh, he's, he's willing to ask the tough questions and I'm willing to help drill them down for him to, be, to bring about those changes. As it deals with uh, privatization and various elements, I know that previous administration has made those kind of advancements in various ways, uh, we're going to come in and just do a, a broad review uh, of our various state agencies and our various services. The one thing that I will say is we're, we're going to continuously work with our state employees who care about the state of Connecticut as much as I do and as much as the governor-elect. Uh, I, I'm a product of state employees. My father is a 30-year uh, state employee himself. 
I can go through most of my family have served and in, in, uh, worked in the state. And I know the passion that state employees bring uh, to their roles and bring to the agencies. They have to be a part of the process, not against the process. And so uh, I know one of the first meetings I will be having is with the various representatives of the state employees uh, to really talk about the role of this office and how we all can work together. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say uh, to that question of privatization, I can't answer that fully right now because I want to be able to go agency by agency, meet people one by one, and learn about each agency and what's moving forward on an individual level. This is where we live. Again, in studio, Paul Mounts Jr., Governor-elect Ned Lamont's pick for chief operating officer. We wanted to learn more about how other state governments have used a COO. So joining us by uh, phone now is John M. Bernard, senior fellow at the Governing Institute and contributor at governing.com, also author of Government That Works, the I Results Revolution in the States. John, welcome to our show. Good morning. How are you, Lucy? I'm doing well. So tell us, uh, in Connecticut, uh, having a COO is new for the state. I'm curious how many states have these uh, roles and what has been the outcome? Well, uh, first of all, congratulations, Paul. Uh, you're in for a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, there are, um, to the best of my knowledge, eight or nine with a bunch of uh, people transitioning into the governor's office. Uh, that is also transitioning, so the exact count, I can't tell you, but it uh, is a very powerful role. It started about the first time I saw it was here. I, I live in the state of Washington. It was in the state of Oregon, and uh, what is happening is that governors are understanding that there is a chief of staff to run policy and work the politics and then there's a chief operating officer to make sure that government is delivering results that matter to citizens. And so uh, with that uh, mindset, are these states seeing, you know, the, the citizens of these states, do they see this as a good investment or rather just a, another a level of bureaucracy, John? Well, I don't think most people really understand what's going on in their state government. So uh, the assumption is that... Uh, if you take a look at government and you ask, what is it for, what is it about? And I'd love to hear what Paul thinks about this. When, when I ask the question to groups of people, what is the measure of success in business? Everybody responds, it's profits. Great. What's the equivalent measure in government? Nervous, nervous laughter in the room. Then someone will shout out, get reelected. Everybody laughs. And then the conversation moves to, well, government has probably 50 measures that are equivalent to profitability. So it has a broad spectrum of influence on society. Most of those measures, and Paul pointed this out, the data exists, but they're really not managed. Uh, they're really like taking a temperature without doing anything about your health. What's your take, Paul? Well... I said, John, I really appreciate your articles and your thoughts on, on the role of the COO. Uh, I, I, I would say, I will say this, uh, John makes a very fine point. I think the general public has uh, an understanding of government based upon their introduction to government. So if your, your introduction to government is to go to the DMV and you feel that you're waiting in line too long, you're now going to make a depiction about the full government spectrum <laughs> as a whole. 
And, Absolutely. And so the one thing that we have to do uh, as a uh, in the role in the executive branch is we have to change people's mindsets of what uh, success actually is when it comes to government. It's it's not a profit base. It's a it's the it's our I think our best profit is service. And so for us to ensure our think our most valuable metric is are we serving the people of Connecticut to the highest level and to the best level. And we can do that through the various data and the metrics and the understanding of that and then be able to actually show the, the, uh, the people of Connecticut what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and how we're fixing it. I think accountability is, is very much different. I know I'm telling you, Lucy, uh, if you look at the legislature, the legislature, they, they have they, – they start one day, they end um, later in, in the year, and if they pass the bill, they feel that's, that's success. But for the executive branch and the governor's office and our agencies, just the passage of a bill is not success. It's actually, it's actually is, are we implementing the law to the highest and best ability to ensure the, the appropriate service to the people of Connecticut? Uh, John, uh, for the states that have uh, brought on COOs, what kind of backgrounds do they have? Well, it, it's interesting because they range from backgrounds that, at least from my observation about Paul, appear to be more political. They grew up in the system. They know it. They understand government. Uh, and and uh, completely external people who come in as retired executives or, you know, later in their lives who want to uh, do service, uh, provide something meaningful to, to government. I want, uh, Lucy, can I run down a path for a second? Sure. So one of the things that I've had the pleasure of doing in three different states is actually getting the cabinet together and deciding and proposing to the governor what they think the right measures are to manage the state. And it's interesting when you get a cabinet in a room. And one state I did it, there were 65 cabinet members we met eight times and for a half day, it was mandatory attendance, and we developed the governor's scorecard. And then those measures were built into routines, quarterly reviews, goal councils by the governor's various goals, exactly what Paul was talking about, which is learning to cross the boundaries to work together. Recidivism, opioid addiction, all of those things don't fall neatly into a department. They actually cross over all the departments. Surprisingly, and I have seen this a couple of times, you get a cabinet together and they have never actually met each other. I mean, literally, people in a cabinet with 35 people all reporting to the governor have never even spoken to each other. They may have been in the same room, but it's so different when they begin to really collaborate. John Bernard is senior fellow at the Governing Institute, also author of Government That Works, The Results Revolution in the States. Uh, we're talking with him as we explore this new position within the state of Connecticut, the chief operating officer that will be uh, a position filled by Paul Mounds, Jr., who's in studio with me here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Um, Someone uh, did call in, Paul, uh, who says that uh, the idea of operating the state like a business is what led former Michigan Governor Rick Snyder to cut costs, leading to Flint water crisis. And this listener says government should not be run like a business. And I, I'd like to hear your take on that. And I also know that you used to live in Flint. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in Flint with uh, my wife was a news journalist in, in Flint. So I, I have some I have some comments about that. Um, 
I'm, I don't have a business background. I, I, every, every role that I ever had was in um, government. Um, like I said, it's in service. So I do work for um, a governor who has a strong business background, but he had the foresight to want to bring someone who had a government background to serve in this role. Uh, I don't, I, I think John can agree. I, there's been various different backgrounds of individuals who have served this role. Uh, many individuals who have, like I said, retired COOs of large Fortune 500 companies, and then others who have background in government. I have the background in government, so I, I don't. I, I believe there. I believe in a hybrid approach when it comes to this, and I think that's what we're going to bring about. Uh, John, I think a uh, Colorado's uh, COO actually is a lieutenant governor, and I'm curious how common that is versus uh, having a, a new position come on. Yeah, it's not very common, usually because a lieutenant governor is a separately elected official, and often they actually compete. The various separately elected uh, officials compete, uh, but uh, Governor Hickenlooper. Uh, actually appointed the lieutenant governor under his administration. He just stepped down, uh, completing the terms that he had available to him. And so it was a bit of a different relationship. I don't think, I, I think that's a great idea if you can create that level of cooperation. That said, uh, if not, what it's all about really is crossing lines and learning to break down the barriers. Um, Mary's calling from Hartford. Mary, go ahead. Hi. This is Mary, and, you know, it's so excellent to hear you talking about how putting projects together across agencies um, is a different type of governing than than just passing laws and policies. Um, And I'm wondering, could the administration uh, create a crossover pilot projects for the environment to revitalize our ecosystems? Because right now, a lot of times we get, you know, laws passed for policies for to conserve the environment, um, but they're disconnected from municipal and state planning decisions and even the energy and transportation decisions. But what we really need because of climate change, because of uh, mass extinction, is a, a, a refocus on the value of healthy ecosystems throughout the state. And uh, pilot projects like the North Branch of the Park River um, could could make that happen. Well, Mary, uh, thanks for uh, your call. Again, uh, she was talking about um, whether this cross-agency collaboration with respect to environment uh, will be a focus within the administration. Yeah, I I will say those are the kind of examples that we will be looking at. Um, Like I said, I was a legislative and policy director uh, before having this role, and uh, you, you can very easily, through a budget process, just look at the issues based upon what line item it falls in. Uh, and I know I utilized the example earlier about health. Uh, you can make, utilize that example for environment issues. Um, one of the biggest um, issues as it deals with emissions for the state of Connecticut and our nation is actually in the transportation sector. So you can't, you can't have a comprehensive energy strategy that has a focus on our energy focus of the state and the environment without actually having a transportation discussion. So if the department is focusing on just focusing on the comprehensive energy strategy from a siloed level, you're going to miss a whole different factor that actually has an effect on the state. So I, I, I think the caller is, is right in line with 
our thinking is in terms of how to best can we get our agencies to work together uh, for collaborative success. Uh, Paul, uh, before we run out of time, I do want to know, uh, find out uh, a lot of uh, attention again on uh, you know coming up with uh, metrics and again mm-hmm. to see how agencies are working together, if they're being productive. Will this be made available to the public, and what will be the platform? Yeah, well, we're still in the works uh, on that. Uh, we are looking at the various examples from other states, and I know John could definitely uh, talk about that as well. Uh, one that example that we're looking at is uh, very much is Colorado uh, and Washington State and what they have utilized as part of their dashboard uh, process. I think it's important for us as a state to show the constituents of the state uh, what what success looks like, what we need to approve on, and how we're doing it. And the best way to do that is to really have information that is publicly available and see the information that as we see it at the same time. So we are going to be going through a process about how best we can do that for the state of Connecticut uh, with our various resources. And it's been, it's it's an issue that I feel uh, in order for this role to be successful, we have to bring that about. Uh, John, could you talk uh, briefly about how states are um, looking at at metrics and making that public? Sure. I suggest you look at two things, and Paul's already on track with this. Uh, Results Washington is a program uh, that I was actually the external advisor to the governor on in the creation of it. And another program is called the Arizona Management System, which is the state of Arizona, I also served that governor and helped him put his uh, scorecards and process of management together. There are good models out there. Uh, My dream is someday a governor will actually publish an annual report to citizens and send a copy to every employee, every citizen through the newspaper, whatever, but be very, very visible about what they're working on, what they want to be held accountable for, and the kind of results they're delivering. Uh, John's calling from Kensington. John, go ahead with your question or comment. I was going to say that if the state of Connecticut wants to try to act more like a business, the best place to start and put some real resources is in the Department of Motor Vehicle. That's the agency that most regular taxpayers intersect with their state. They may not intersect with other uh, other parts of our state government, but that's where everyone comes together. And that, that's the that's the communal drinking hole, and I think that that's the place where you want to try to make your maximum efficiencies work. Well, thank you, John, for that comment. I have to say, I I, uh, I sidestepped the DMV and went to the local AAA, and it was a breeze. <laughs> Paul, yeah, no, no, and I, I think one of the things uh, that we're definitely going to look at is um, the, the individual experience with our state agencies. Um, and I think the caller is right. Uh, a lot of uh, our constituents' first, only, and last experience with the state is through agencies like the Department of Motor Vehicles, and uh, we will uh, continuously work on uh, those various issues and concerns uh, going forward. But you are absolutely right, caller. Um, it, we have to identify what is the user experience with the state of Connecticut and how best we can bring about uh, the necessary changes uh, to move the state forward. And, and, Paul, let me just add that if you go back in actually my book, uh, Government That Works, I tell the story of New Mexico, where people showed up in lawn chairs like they were lining up for a concert. 
and set them up outside a DMV office in New Mexico and ended up with police hauling someone away at front page story and a total disaster. So um, my friends in Connecticut, it couldn't be that bad. <laughs> well, we want to thank John Bernard again for joining us, senior fellow at the Governing Institute, contributor at governing.com and author of the book, Government That Works, The Results Revolution in the States. John, thank you. You're welcome. Thank also, you. uh, Paul Mounds, Jr., Governor-elect, uh, Ned Lamont's pick for Chief Operating Officer. You've uh, laid uh, the framework down for us. Paul, we're going to hope to have you back and see how it's all going in a few months. I'll be happy to come back anytime, Lucy. Thank you. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Uh Coming up, the new legislative session begins on Wednesday. So what policy changes will the Connecticut General Assembly tackle first? After the break, we're going to get a preview from Hartford Current reporter Daniela Altamara. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. So we learned that the new COO for the state of Connecticut will be focused on operations, not policy. But what policy issues will the Lamont administration tackle first? And will he have the support of the General Assembly? Uh, to tell us more, joining us in studio is Daniela Altamari, State House reporter at the Hartford Current. You can follow her on Twitter at Capital Watch. Daniela, welcome back to the show. Hi. So uh, we've had uh, Governor Lake Lamont on the show a couple of times, but I'm curious about. Um, in your interactions with him and from talking with others, what's his style going to be? Well, uh, his style is going to be very different than uh, Governor Malloy, for sure. Um, you know, he's um, he's sort of uh, giving indications that he's going to be uh, very collaborative, um, bringing in a wide uh variation of, of perspectives, uh, lots of different people. Um, you know, that's sort of been his his approach uh, all along and certainly through this transition period. You know, we'll see. Obviously, once he gets into office, things could be different. Um, but that appears to be sort of the way he, he will lead. We heard from listeners during the campaign, even on a Today show uh, on social media, that they don't want to see government run like a business. Mm-hmm. Ned Lamont is a businessman. We just uh, talked to his new COO, a new position. Uh, oftentimes you see that in the corporate world. Is that something that you feel like he's going to continue uh, to try to uh, uh, transform government by putting in some of these business practices? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. His his experience in government is is really limited. I mean, you know, Governor uh, Malloy was a was a big city mayor. You know, certainly uh, John Rowland and and Jody Rell uh, were both legislators, and you know John Rowland in Congress and and Jody Rell in the, at the state capitol. You know, Ned Lamont's experience is limited to you know serving on town boards in in Greenwich in the eighties. Uh, it was a long time ago. Obviously, very different. So. In some ways, we don't really know. Um, you know, he he does come from a business background, so certainly that will um, shape his worldview. Uh, my favorite line from a, a current article was, "It's unclear how Lamont's ah shucks demeanor <laughs> will play with the various factions in the legislature, the state bureaucracy, and a fickle public." So, talk us through that a little bit more, Danielle. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, he is um, comes across as a sort of a a, a nice guy um, who wants to, you know, generally has the best 
best interest of the state at heart. Um, again, when you're in the crucible of, of the governor's office and you've got to make really tough decisions, you're going to anger people. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? You're going to have uh, different relationships than you would as a candidate or as a, you know, even during this transition period. So who knows? I mean, um, that's sort of the way he's coming across right now. But, you know, it, we're facing some very big problems in the state and we'll see how it all plays out. So that nice veneer might start to peel after a few months, maybe uh, a first legislative session uh, behind well, him? Well, <laughs> it certainly can be, you know, those times can be tense and there are a lot of different factions and a lot of different people with a lot of different um, viewpoints. So oh, there's been talk uh, from uh, the progressive uh, side that uh, they want to see the legislature uh, come through with uh, the big five this mm-hmm. session. Can you briefly tell us what those policy changes would be? Yeah. So my uh, my colleague, uh, Chris Keating, had a discussion. Uh, it's in yesterday's paper with uh, with the governor elect. And, you know, he does lay out uh, his support for for most of these you know progressive policies. We're looking at, uh, for instance, an increase in the minimum wage. A uh, system of paid family and medical leave, um, legalizing marijuana, highway tolls. I mean, there's there's quite a few things that the progressives are seeking, and they, you know, had a very good uh, election cycle in 2016. So um, they would appear to have some clout, and they certainly have the ear of the governor. There's also a, not a, a lot of new lawmakers. So is it uh, unclear? I, I guess it is unclear to see how these lawmakers will be uh, voting on certain uh, issues. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the progressives have gotten a lot of attention. And certainly, you know, for instance, in the state Senate, um, the two of the more moderate members, the two two of the three conservative Democrats um, did not run for reelection. Uh, that would be Paul Doyle and Gail Schlossberg. So um, but but we also saw, you know, in Greenwich, uh, Alex Bergstein winning uh, a seat. Um, she is not uh, a member of the Progressive Caucus, as far as I know. She is a, has a very different uh, perspective, probably closer to the Paul Doyles and the Gail Schlossbergs of the world. So she's one of those newcomers that, you know, doesn't sort of fit into that that pigeonhole, uh, progressive pigeonhole. I'm talking with Daniela Altamari, State House reporter at the Hartford Current, as we t- get a preview of the new legislative session, which begins on Wednesday. Uh, we know uh, we have a Democratic governor. We have a Democratic majority, an even stronger Democratic majority in the General Assembly mm-hmm. than in previous years. But that doesn't necessarily mean the governor is going to get everything that he wants. We saw that in the latter years of the Malloy administration, where he was actually uh, kept out of, of mm-hmm. negotiations mm-hmm. by I, Democrats. I, I, yeah, and there was a very strained relationship, uh, again, even among members of his own party, certainly with the legislature and the governor. I, any new governor comes in with a sort of a burst of goodwill, you know, uh, the guy won in November. And um, I think there's generally a sense that, you know, it's in the best interest of the state to work together. How long that lasts? Again, that's that's the big question. We'll see. Uh, state finances are now projected to be uh, $1.7 billion in the red. Uh, Governor-elect Lamont has said he's not going to use the rainy day fund. So what are going to be the big challenges in coming together with this balanced budget, uh, this proposal due in February, Daniela? Yeah, I mean, his first budget, obviously, due in February, uh, will um, will fill in some of those gaps. He is, you know, he is banking on uh, growth in the state's economy. That's something that, you know, to some degree isn't within his control, but also to some degree not in his control. I mean, there's a great story in the New York Times today uh, looking at sort of how he plans to um, sell Connecticut as a as a business destination and how he will sort of uh, grow the state's economy. But, you know, that's uh, obviously not something he can just wave a magic wand on. Mm-hmm. 
I also uh, wanted to ask you uh, quickly, uh, Daniela, uh, you know, how will he work across the aisle? Because uh, the Republicans have been in the minority in the General Assembly for a long time. And I'm just he's made these promises that he wants to work with everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that rhetoric? Uh, Who knows? I mean, you know, it's obviously tough to say right now. But, you know, we did talk with, for instance, uh, Senator Len Fasano, who's the Republican leader in the state Senate. And, you know, he said he had a very long, I think it was an hour and a half meeting with uh, the governor elect. Very long, good discussion. Um, So, you know, again, they appear to be getting off on on the right foot. When the metal hits the pedal or whatever that (laughs) cliche is, we'll see. Um, There's certainly going to be a lot of tough arguments up there this session. Um, Whether that goodwill will last, we don't know. But at least initially, there does seem to be uh, a sort of a a dialogue. And, and you know, they're listening to each other. I think Senator Fasano uh, told me, you know, he was impressed that that uh, Ned Lamont was listening and he was saying, you know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I think that carried some weight with Senator Fasano after, you know, eight years of Governor Malloy, who had a very different personal style. Uh, we should mention that uh, Governor-elect Lamont does plan on staying uh, at the, the governor's mansion. Is that where he'll be living for most of the time? Yes, uh, at least, you know, through the session, he will be living there. He, you know, made a campaign commercial out of driving his own car uh, to to the Capitol. That it's not going to fly. Uh, the state troopers will drive him. What is it? You know, a mile and a half or whatever. However far it is, it's not very far. Um, but um, but he will be he will be living there. And where does it stand? Uh, Lamont had said he wasn't going to take a salary. Is that something that's going to happen? Well, I, it, it appears to be. I mean, he uh, that's within his control. He certainly doesn't need the salary. Um, he's uh, a very uh, well-off uh, individual, probably more so than any governor, perhaps since Lowell Weicker. He has uh, quite a um, comfortable lifestyle, and I'm sure he, you know, probably doesn't need the the, the government salary. Uh, we should mention, too, before uh, we end, uh, when he was uh, campaigning, uh, lots of groups supported him uh, because they wanted him to back ideas like free community college. Mm-hmm. Um, now that he's in office, is he going to have to deliver? Well, again, you know, the, he there were a lot of promises made. And, and uh, some of those things co- can cost a great deal of money. And so, you know, given the state's financial outlook, who knows? We'll have to leave it there. Danielle Altamari, State House reporter at the Hartford Current. Uh, Danielle, thanks again for coming Thank in. Thank you. Uh, today's show produced by Scott Breedy. Uh, thanks to Kion Wolf and Lydia Brown. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>